you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. A few weeks ago, um, I had messaged Jordan to see if he knew that song, and he said he, he didn't, but he would learn it. And of course, they've been gone for a few weeks and uh, up north on vacation, and, and uh, I'm so thankful for that song this morning. The first time I heard it, about a month and a half ago, uh, I was driving in the car. I'll never forget um, what I was doing. I was actually heading to the office, had the kids with me, and, and I heard it come on, and it's a song by Crowder. Um, and he got to the line, when I read the red letters, um, the, arm, the, the hairs on my arm began to stand up. Because to think that Christ came and died so that we may have life, and he wrote his, his love for us in red letters from his royal blood. That's much to be thankful for, amen? That's a love that we know not of outside of Christ, amen? Matter of fact, as we look at our text this morning, uh, the knowledge of love, I, I want to make a statement to open up with that I think is a, a, a deep statement, a profound statement, uh, not a statement that, um, a statement you probably have heard before or, or something uh, about, but one that I think we don't grasp real well. And it's this it's impossible uh, to love outside of Christ. It, it's impossible to love outside of Christ. Now, you, you may ask, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I do love. I, I know how to love. My kids know how to love. People know how to love. Well, it's impossible to love outside of Christ the way Christ has called us to love. It's impossible to love outside of Christ with the word agape within our heart, the idea of divine love. It's not natural within inside of us to have that kind of love. The word agape is mentioned 51 times in 1 John. In the passage we're going to look at this morning, and that Kyle read earlier uh, as we opened up the service, it is mentioned 12 times in just a few short verses. The 51 times that it's mentioned in the first letter of John is almost half of the number of verses. There are 105 verses in 1 John, and it's mentioned 51 times. Almost every other verse, the word agape, divine love, is mentioned. No other word for love is mentioned in 1 John. And when we begin to, again, think about this word agape, this word love, it is an active word. It is one that is about giver-driven. It's one about um, that is about divine passion, divine love. It is one that has that has the idea of compassion, grace, mercy within it. It is again always active, and it's always giver-driven. It doesn't matter what the receiver receives or, or not. It doesn't matter, actually, if the receiver wants to receive that love. It's still giver 
driven, which means that I can give this kind of love whether someone wants to accept it or not. That's the gospel love, is it not? Christ loves us when we first did not, what? Love him. Matter of fact, Christ loves us when we don't want to love him. It's not mutual. It is not a love that goes back and forth. Christ's love for us will be there no matter if we ever receive him or not. It's not receiver-driven. It's not mutual-focused. It's only one-way focused. This is not a love that's natural. A love that's natural is always what? It's always mutual, right? It's always, if you love me, I will what? Love you back. When you start first start dating, you, you, and you, you finally find out, when I, I think I love her. I'll never forget the first time I told Katie I loved her. The response was not back, well, I love you too. Matter of fact, it was sometime later, was it not? And I started to think, okay, is this a one-way kind of thing but later on it became I love you too even today when we hang up on the phone I say I love you and if she says bye I'll say well you don't love me anymore and she goes uh, yes and bye I'm like, wait a minute, I don't even get I love you because it's it's, it's mutual is it I mean that's the kind of the way that our relationships are it's the same way friendships right Friendship love is that same kind of way. We, we all have people that have been friends in our lives that all of a sudden that, that friendship began to what? Disappear because something happened on one end. And if it's not mutual, then it's not what? We're not going to be friends. It's always something there. It's always, um, it's always mutual. It's always receiver-driven. And I was reminded of that this week. This week, a couple that I know, uh, that I've done ministry with for a long time, I discovered this week that they were getting a divorce. And the husband was, was evidently had an affair. A couple that, I mean, that I've known for a long time. They don't live local. And I, I was kind of blown away. Because I've been on youth trips with them. I've been places with them. I've seen them serve, and, and I've seen them love each other. And it reminded me of, of the natural love that exists within us. It can wear down and go away, what's natural within us. But when Christ changes us, the love that comes from Christ is not natural, and it never goes away, and it's never dependent upon whether the person that I'm loving loves me back or not. So as a, as a husband to Katie, and, but more importantly as a father or as a, a follower of Christ, I am to love her no matter if she ever loves me back or not. Because Christ loves me in that kind of way. And so when we begin to think about this knowledge of love, <coughs> when we begin to think about the center of, of this message, when we begin to think of why this is important, we must understand that this is important because Jesus sees it as important. I find it interesting 
that, that over and over and over again in the New Testament, we see that, that Jesus is reminding his followers of his love for them. Over and over and over as we read through the epistles, those books outside of the four Gospels, we see over and over and over that the writers are reminding the followers about love and divine love. It's not, it's not uncommon to see that kind of ongoing kind of thing. We begin to look at the church of Ephesus. John, who is writing 1 John to the church of Ephesus, later on in the book of Revelation, writes a letter to them under the inspiration, again, of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to, to the church of Ephesus, you have forgotten your what? First love. Did Jesus, because the church forgot to love, did Jesus, did he stop loving them? No. Matter of fact, Jesus even continued as the church of Ephesus did not come back and love him. As later on the candlestick was removed, Jesus still loved the church. The reason I think that love is continually an emphasis on, on us as we read through the New Testament is, is this. Love really deals with issues such as racial issues. We find that in Acts chapter 15, on debate over Gentiles being a part of the church. We have a racial component, Jews not liking Gentiles, Jews not liking Samaritans. It's a racial issue where they are called to love their brother and sister who looks different than them. And so as we read through the Bible, we, we see that. Not only do we see it in a racial issue there, but we also see in John chapter 4 a racial and a gender issue addressed where Jesus is with the woman on the well who's a Samaritan and, and a woman and a prostitute. Jesus loves her. And, and he goes on to talk to her about what it means to understand that love, to understand what it means to have the well of love with inside of her. Remember, Jesus says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And she says, uh, you don't have a bucket to get uh, any water. And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for the living water with inside of me. Jesus loves her to that appoint. Matter of fact, that was a divine appointment. Was it an accident that Jesus showed up there? Not only there, but in First and Second Corinthians, we see Jesus through uh, the Apostle Paul uh, with an economic issue, telling the church, "You can't love a brother who has more money." than the brother who doesn't have more money, the most money. You can't say the brother who has the most money you put in a high spot, the person that, that has no money you put to the back or in the worst spot. Paul says you can't do that. That's not Christian fellowship. Don't judge based on the pocketbook of someone. But being in ministry for 20 years, guess what I have seen? Most churches, most committees, they will give in to somebody who has a big pocketbook. Why? Because if that pocketbook leaves, our ministry leaves. Then who are we, who are we actually loving, or what way are we actually loving them? We're loving them not in a God sense, but in a mutual sense. They give me money, and so guess what? 
I'm going to give in and give them what they want. Can I, can I say as someone in student ministry and as a teaching pastor here and as a, you know, been in ministry again 20-something years, that kind of love never works and it never turns out well. It, it just doesn't. And, and so as we think about those kind of loves uh, from an introduction, what I want to say is, is as we unpack this passage, what Jesus is saying in 1 John <coughs> is radically different. That Jesus wants us to walk in him. When we walk in the love that Christ calls us to walk in, we're able to walk in the fire because we are now in Christ and because Christ is now walking in the fire with us. It's biblical love to, to understand that Christ loves us in our darkest of, of moments. It's biblical love to understand that Christ seeks after us and that he finds us. It's biblical love that, that we understand that it, this love will never fail us. Excuse me. It's biblical love to understand that, that the shouts of the name of Jesus from our heart are good. So this morning, let's examine our text. Let's look at it. Let's look at it from a standpoint of what is love really about. And what does it mean to know the love of God? <coughs> I've got two texts this morning, or two, two questions and one statement this morning. And so, but before we get to those two, two questions and st uh, statement, I want to walk through it. So let's, let's walk through our passage again. So if you have first, uh, your Bible, uh, let's turn to verse 7. Is everybody following? By the way, am I, is it clear so far? Okay. Um, and, and I ask that because I want us to, to, to understand. Um, dear friends, again, he, he's writing to brothers and sisters. He's writing to, to those whom he loves, sisters and brothers in Christ. He says, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who knows, um, who, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The first thing I think we've got to understand here is, is in verse 7 is this. We're able to love and have this divine love in us because God first loves us, that he, he knows us. Again, this word know in, in the Greek is a word called gnosko. It, it's this ongoing knowledge. It, it, it's knowing something intimately and deep. And so what, what John is telling this church is, is this, that, that you're able to love because Christ first loved you. You now have this divine love in you because Christ knows you and you know Christ. It's clear here. He's making this clear statement that, that you're able to love in a way that is radically different than what you have in nature. You're able to love with this, this dri given, driver, just given, driven kind of love, this active love where it's all about you giving away because Christ gave it away to you. And then in verse 8, we, we read this. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. But verse 8, John's making a clear statement. Not to have this kind of love with inside of us means that we are not known by God and that means that we are not a believer. John's making a clear statement here. You want to know a mark of a believer? 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? Are we following Jesus? Verse 8 is an indicator. Are we able to give this kind of love where we're not worried about receiving? And are, are we able to love somebody who is radically different than us? Because, again, here's what he says. The one who does not love does not know God. Again, the word gnosko, deep, intimate knowledge. So the ability to love in this kind of love is not man-driven, but it's God-driven. And if we don't have this with inside of us, going back to my original statement, John is saying it's impossible to love without this kind of love, without, without Christ. It's impossible. It's a clear indicator. You see people who are always grumpy, always disliking people. And we make a marker that if that's an ongoing thing and they are addressed by the word, then we have an issue of salvation. That's a, that's a big point. Listen, we're all being sanctified. But when we are addressed with the word, when the word addresses us, when it is brought before our attention and it doesn't change us, we don't have that kind of love now, then we are not believers. I think that's clear. I'm not here to make people feel good. I'm here to help us understand Christ. And when my heart's addressed, there are times in my life when, when somebody's come to me and say, John, you're not really loving in that kind of attitude. Guess what I need to do? Readjust who I am. And if my heart doesn't say I need to readjust, it means that I have a salvation issue. In verses 9 and 10, he says this. Look at, look at the text. We're going to read through the text and then answer a few questions. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That divine love was revealed to us through Christ Jesus. Picture here, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son, so that we may have what? Everlasting life. Not everyone, right? Whosoever believes the gospel came christ came so that we might see life divine love was revealed in christ jesus not through muhammad not through our works not not through some way of meditation but through christ and christ alone that's the message of love for, for me to say to, to say, you know what, I want you to believe whatever you, you want to believe and, and hope that you're okay is not to love someone. It's not to reveal the love that Christ has for them. But to love them is to say this, without you receiving this gift that has been given to you, you will be condemned to hell forever. That's love. Use it in a personal example. If I'm cooking at home and I've got the stove open, and I'm letting Jet and Sadie run all over the kitchen. Is it loving for me just to let them run around and open the 
the stove and let them put their hand in on, on the stove? No, that's not loving, is it? The loving thing to do is say, Jet, don't do that. Sadie, don't do that. They keep doing they keep coming towards you. The loving thing for me to do is what? To discipline them so they will what? Not touch it, right? That that's loving. Christ loves us so much that he gave himself for us, and in that he wants us to see him, and in that sometimes he will discipline us, and he will discipline us so that we understand who we are in him. And then verses 11 through 16 in our text is simply, uh, dear friends, if God loves us in this way, we must also love one another. No, no one has ever seen God. He's making a statement. No one ever ever fully seen God, which is true. No one has seen the fullness of God. Um, if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He gives us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that God, or that uh, to believe the love that God has for us. 11 through 16 is this idea because Christ loves us that we are now self-giving in our sacrificial way of living. We must be about loving others in this kind of way. It's about giving a clear example. It's about, it's about giving above and beyond just the norm. That's why before we answer a couple questions and and make a statement about the text as we finish up the sermon. That's why I don't talk a lot about giving as far as the tithe. The tithe is an Old Testament tax. Uh, basically, if you begin to unpack the Old Testament, the tithe is only a portion of actually what the nation of Israel was actually supposed to give. If you actually begin to add up, it was actually 23.5% of annual gift that, 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 that they were to give to the church or give to the priests or to God. You begin to add it up. The tithe was, was the, the first sacrifice. Here's why I believe it's important. It's the first fruit we give to God. When you get to the New Testament, I think the New Testament actually asks more of us than a tithe. He actually asks for sacrificial giving. Matter of fact, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus condemns those who give the minimum of a tenth. He never says it's okay. Matter of fact, when when the when the Pharisee was separating out his 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 seeds, the woman gave everything. Who did he say was faithful? The woman. Why? Because she gave sacrificially. Here's what I mean by this. Christ gave his all for us, right? And in us is that all. And for us to give back just to him a little bit is not what he asked. He asked for us to have all. He asked for us to, to give him all of us. 
and in that everything is my, everything that's mine is actually now his. Does that make sense? And to love the way Christ has called us to love is to love sacrificially, not just in emotion, but in physical, um, how I love someone, in the way I love them financially, the way I do that, everything. And so for some of us, a sacrifice, in, if we want to talk about money giving, a sacrifice may actually be 50% of our income. That's different, isn't it? that's the New Testament. You, you, you want to say, I'm not real sure, John, but we'll walk through that one day if you want to walk through that. Because that challenged my heart. For some of us, 10% is what? It is a real sacrifice. That's off kilter a little bit. But to love is to understand this kind of love. Does that make sense? I'm not saying agree, but I'm just saying, are, are we tracking? So let's ask him a couple questions. The first question I want to ask of the text is this, as we begin to look at 7 through 16, is this. Um, and we're going to move through these quickly because we, we've outlined some things. And so now we're going to ask two questions and, and make a statement. Why are we unable to, to love outside of Christ? In the first part of here, why, why are we unable to, to do that? I think we're unable to love uh, outside of Christ because of what happened in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed, uh, God in the garden, uh, there was a, a fellowship that was broken. And in that, that understanding of divine love was now separated from us. We are still image bearers of God, and we still have the ability to love, but it's changed now. It, it's broken. And so the love now that we have is, is now uh, mutual given. It, it, it's about what I can get and what I can receive as much as, as, as anything else. D.A. Carson says this about this kind of understanding of love. He says the fundamental sin is not to love God with heart, soul, and mind, and strength. What, what he's saying here is this, that because Adam and Eve sinned, we lost that ability to love God with everything we have. That, that Adam and Eve, before sin, were able to love God fully with their strength, their, their mind, their, their soul, everything that they were because they were without sin and they had that relationship with God. But something happened. They, they desired to have something for themselves. They desired to, to, to love based upon what? Receiving. They didn't feel like they were getting everything they deserved. They didn't have the knowledge that, that they thought they could have. They didn't have the freedom that they thought they, they needed. And so what did they do? They no longer loved God. They loved those things more. And so in that, the fellowship was broken. And so because of that, outside of God, outside of the gospel, outside of Christ, we're unable to, to love. We're unable to have this kind of, kind of a love. That's why I think when we begin to, to look at our, our, the word, we begin to understand why Cain was not willing to, to do uh, the right thing. Why Cain, when... When Cain and Abel came to, to, to God and said, here's our sacrifices, Cain's sacrifice was not sufficient. Why? Because he didn't love God the way that Abel loved God. And because he didn't have that, guess what happened? When Abel got something he didn't get, guess what happened? Cain said, well, I'm going to take care of my problem. I'm going to kill you. And so my problem will now be gone. 
The problem is another problem arose. Now he had to really deal with God. Hey, hey Cain, where's your brother? Who am I, my brother's keeper? No, but I know where your brother's at. And because of this, because you didn't love me, and you, didn't, you weren't able to love your brother, now you are marked. What that marking is, we're not real sure. Love is, 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 was broken, and it's seen real early after the fall. That's why we can't love outside of Christ. A couple quick things in this point. Racism is an issue of lack of divine agape love. Racism has been an issue for a long, 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 long time. There were racist issues all the way back to early on after the Tower of Babel. We have racism issues. Modern racism, even American racism, is not new. It's not new. Racism is, is about superiority of one group. What was the issue in World War II with Hitler? It was racism. He thought one group of people was superior to everyone else. Racism is a lack of divine love. Not only is racism a lack of divine love, but gender superiority is a lack of divine love. And I'm getting ready to go here on Father's Day. In Genesis chapter 3, one of the curses was a woman was wanting to be superior to, to the man. That's what happened. God says, Eve, you will desire to usurp your husband's authority. And Adam, you're going to want to walk beneath your wife because of your unwillingness to defend her in the garden before. It's going to get worse. We have gender issues across America and across the world today because of the fall. Men and e women are created equal in the image of God. Amen? Men are not superior to women. Women are not superior to men. There are certain roles and functions that men are called to have that women are not called to have, but women are called to have functions that men are not called to have. They are called to be complementarians. They are to complement each other. When a husband and wife love each other in this kind of way, guess what happens? You get a home that's happy, a home that's Christ-centered. When you get a church that usurps and tries to put people in positions that they're not supposed to, what do you begin to have? You begin to have doctrine failure. Anytime we turn the apple cart upside down, we don't get upside down apple cake. We get crushed apples. Gender superiority, anytime we want to say one race is better than another, we have a massive issue. God loves both of us. And if we'll learn to live within that, guess what? We'll be okay. Next, there's this economic superiority. Again, 
outside of love of Christ, it's all about economics. And for the sake of time, we're, we're going to kind of move forward. Biblical love is not based on if people like us or not, but it's based upon being born of God. The next question I want to ask is this. Is, am I, again, am I making sense? Is this, is this going, are you understanding? This is yes, this is no. Yes? Okay. So we're not able to love outside of Christ, and because of that, all these things happen. Racism, su- uh, gender superiority, economic uh, suppression, nationalism, all kinds of things come out of not being able to, to love Christ and have the, uh, the love of Christ within us. Not only that, and that's from the text. I mean, w- that's from verse 8. The next question I want to ask quickly and, and is this. How does God love and, and, and how does God show his love? Well, simple thing is, is is he loves us by giving his life for us he, he gave his son that so that we may have redemption in verse 9 it says this God's love was revealed among us in this way God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him love consists in this not we love God that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us we have the love of God within us because God loved us first. I love what Tim Timmons says about this text. He, he says this, The love that Jesus illustrated was self-giving for the benefit of others. Jesus didn't get, get anything good out of going to the cross, did he? When there, there wasn't nothing about receiving that, was there? So that love that Jesus illustrated was self-giving for the benefit of others. We, we tend to think of love in emotional terms, and we do. But the New Testament concept of love is more focused on active self-giving. And the greater the cost of that self-giving, the greater the love. Therefore, Jesus commands those who follow him to love your enemies as well as your friends. The very night before Jesus was crucified, He said to his disciples, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus illustrates this. Jesus didn't die for his friends. Jesus didn't die for good people, did he? Jesus gave his life for sinners. And in that, I think from our text, to have that kind of love within us means to love those who are not like us. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of of the son he loves in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that's active work so how do we know God's love because he showed it to us and here's the statement in, in, in the close because we know the love of God and because the love of God lives with inside of us in verses 11 through 16 we have absolute application of it this kind of love is not self-motivated 
it's not about what I can give, but it's about what has been, or it's not what about what I can receive, but it's about what has been given to me and what now I give to others. There are, and I've made this statement, I think here, I know I've made it in churches before and in student ministry, but there are, and this is a true statement, there are people in this room outside the love of God within me, you and I would not be friends. I promise you. You know why? Because in the flesh, we would annoy each other and we would go at it. That's why there has never been a positive argument in a church that was Christ-centered for the most part. That's why most business meetings are fleshly. Because if I loved you as Christ loved me, we could disagree and say, you know what, brother, let's talk about this outside of this. And we're going to come to an agreement. But because Christ loves me, guess what? I love you. And I, and I mean that from everything that I am. But it is now the sacrifice of my life to love. It's why my two kids are still alive. Because Christ loved me. It's why I'm still alive because Christ loved my mom and dad. It's why these guys are still alive because Christ loved Bill and Ellen. We could go on and on. Knowing and living the love of God is not an option. It's the knowledge that's now put in inside of us. And here's what Tim Timlin says in, close, in closing this morning. As followers of Jesus, you are to practice this self-giving love with all those he brings to you. This self-giving love is best illustrated by loving and touching those who are in need and who are identified as your enemies. Let me read that again. As followers of Jesus, you are to practice this self-giving love with all those he brings to you. This self-giving love is best illustrated by loving and touching those who are not or who are in need and who are identified as your enemies. D.A. Carson says this, salvation is more than justification. Salvation is total sanctification and ultimately glorification. And to wrap this up, if you as an individual, me as an individual, and then we as a church, and we as a campus, if we are going to have the knowledge of the love of God, then we're going to be self-giving people. No matter if we receive anything or not. Let me break it down to even more for us. Because we are a two-campus church, 
it doesn't matter what one campus gives or receives from the other. It doesn't matter. What matters is are we doing for the kingdom, maybe for that campus or this campus, are we doing it for the sake of self-sacrificing for the kingdom, not campus growth, not church growth, but kingdom growth? Do we love each other in this kind of way? Because this is not an option. And I'm speaking first and foremost to myself on that. I get it. I'm getting in some, some deep stuff right here. But you know what? If I wasn't one of your pastors and I didn't really love you, guess what I would do? Just leave it alone and walk away. But because I love you and because I love Christ more than I love you and because Christ loves you more than, he, than, than I could love you, I'm called to, to do what Christ calls us to do. I've dreaded this part of the sermon all week because I'm calling out an issue that needs to be called out to both campuses. We are truly the people of God and we are to love each other and the world will see the love within inside of us when we love each other. So here's what I'm calling us to in close. I'm calling us to repentance. And I stand as one who needs repentance. The writer of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, writes a line in the song, I prone to what? Wonder. You know why he wrote that song, why he wrote that verse? And that statement? Because he what? He prone to wonder. But matter of fact, later in his life, he fully wandered away from orthodoxy and became a universalist. Outside of the gospel, we are all prone to wander all the way to the farthest realms of being from Christ. But in Christ, we're able to love those who don't look like us, think like us, behave like us, but we're called to love them anyways. So here's the close before we have some good news. You can repent there, we can repent here, I can repent, I'm going to get on my knees right here. Um, I'm going to ask Jordan just to come and just play, you don't, um, and we don't have to sing. And actually, can you can you go back to the red letters? Um, I'm asking with weight, right? Can we learn to love each other? I mean, here and across the board. Not because we expect to be loved back or even liked back but because Christ loved me and you when we not only didn't like him, we hated him. 
And he wrote in red letters my name in a book. And my name is beside somebody that would be my enemy outside of that. And their inheritance is the same as my inheritance. And who am I not to love my brother and sister? Because the world, if they see me hating my brother and sister, will not want to be a part of what I'm a part of. And so there are people that, and things that I know I have to repent of. And I have, and I will continue. But God wrote her name in red letters. Because of that, we can repent. So let's have a moment of that. And you can pray wherever you want, but I'm calling us to a time of repentance.